my spidey senses tingling. Greatest living podcast executive producer to ever come out of Hatboro, Pennsylvania. This is his night. He's Slim, the host of the Paper Keg Podcast, episode 160, a very special show. Welcome to Big Show. Uh, Really big show. Rick Remender's fear agent. Thanks for checking us out. Paper Keg Podcast where we talk about, you know, the books we're reading together. And we'll do a book club. But this show is very special. The entire show will be a book club. And it is the Fear Agent Library Edition, Volume 1. And then we'll get to your letters after the show. Three hosts of this show. You're wondering, you're tuning in for the first time, you're like, my God, who are these people that I'm going to be listening to the opinions of for the next 60 minutes? Boy, are you in for a moderate treat. Uh, I can't even see his face. His face is, it's like he draped cocaine all over his face (laughs) before the show. He's a writer. He's... I don't know what else he's got going for him. He's unpublished. He's a father. He He's giffing a lot on Twitter, but he's not <laughs> natively giffing, so it's really weird. He's out of place. Jonesy loves beer. Welcome. Thank you. It's out of place. Probably the most uh, valid descriptor of my life uh, <laughs> that I've ever heard uh, to mine ears. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I am... Uh, Honored to be at this table. What a time to be alive to discuss this book with you. Uh, easily its biggest fan. And uh, I just can't wait to hear you describe some of your favorite emotional moments. I don't know what your little byline means here on the Google Hangout. The host that Kid Rock calls tolerable. What does that mean? Yeah. Can you give us a backstory on that? I don't know. I just kind of came up with it. <laughs> I mean, you know, he just pulled Kid Rock out. He's like, well, "Who's somebody that I could use?" <laughs> Kid Rock. Kid Rock is the most timely rock uh, star that Jonesy knows <laughs> right now. <laughs> he was Kid a big rock. deal if back not in the mid nineties. Yeah. yeah, you got it. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> he nearly wet his pants today. Hashtag the flap. He also is a father. He's the VP of merch, we just announced a limited run of t-shirts, paperkeg.com slash t-shirts, Dale's brainchild entirely. He's uh, like Lothario on Facebook. 
tell you what, you want to see someone just <laughs> be the Johnny Carson of Facebook with his family members, his friends just liking it up, commenting. They just they eat it up with a spoon. Dale underscore I welcome. It's great to be here. And, and you know, I, I just got to say, the I can't have, you know, if I'm going to join Facebook, I'm going to make, I'm going to go all in. You know what I mean? I'm going to liven up this joint and, uh, you know, Be I'm deep. not going to, I'm going to give a reason for people to hit that like button. I'm not going to say, oh, if you believe in Jesus, hit like. If you think, <laughs> uh, if you think, um, you know, abortions kill real babies, share this. You know, I'm I'm going to give valid reasons, and that might be you know an, an inner look into my life, my right. pain. It's not going to be if you wish babies were dead like this. If you wish babies would live, share this. Share this, right? It's yeah. it's because that's all it is. Or oh yeah, let's post this uh, pastel colored thing with an old timey sketch on it, and then words about how oh you can't wait till it's Friday at five o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I mean, I'm gonna ch- I'm gonna change the game if I have to do it single handedly. And you did change the game. You commented about how you almost urinated on yourself while you went to Walmart today. Game changer. Boom. P- I mean, people are probably just checking their statuses while driving, and they just drove off the road. Yeah. I mean, there's probably helicopters and many vacs as we speak still picking <laughs> and cleaning up the wreckage because they're like, well, "Who's this fella? Oh my gosh, I didn't know this guy could." Can you do that on Facebook? Yeah. I don't know. And you know what? The paramedic took a photo of their corpse, put a filter on it, and says they can't wait for Friday. That, yeah, it's exactly right. That's if you're tired of too. seeing this, hit like. If you have to deal with idiots driving, hit share. You know, just as important as people dying on Facebook, our meetup, our third ever meetup, July 19th. It's around the corner. Can you believe it? Can you... Facebook phenom. It's it's so close, and I can't. I actually can't believe it's so close, and I can't believe that I. You just reminded me that I still have to find a babysitter for oh my, my kids. <laughs> so, so your does that be, mean your wife is coming? I think so. Yeah, I oh think she's going. Oh my, phone's yeah. over. Wives are no, coming. With phones phones over. Phones not, <laughs> all, yeah, gosh, because your wife is coming too, right? Yeah, she's coming. See, oh yeah, they're gonna yeah. be getting no. hammered. I will be there, uh, sans wife for the ladies. Yeah, you're saying you don't. You're doing one of your patented moves where you quote send your wife away for the weekend. <laughs> Is that what's going to happen? Uh, that was a volunteer job. I, I never send anybody away. I don't direct no. anyone to leave mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. We have a big show. Big oh, show. Yeah. One of our rocket keg episodes where, where uh, the book club just takes over. Actually, technically, I guess this isn't a rocket keg. Did we do a whole episode a Remendo of the Punisher? We did the, the entire run of Greg Rucka's The Punisher. Yeah, but that wasn't a whole episode devoted. I guess a Kira keg. This is an Akira, Akira keg. Yeah. The, we did 8,000 pages of Akira <sighs> in 60 minutes. Never been right. done before. Probably will never be done again. Better or no. worse, I don't no, know. No, not for, not for Akira. No, God, not for <laughs> uh, Fear Agent, Rick Remender's Fear Agent, you know, the, the, his creator-owned baby, originally came out with Image Comics, eventually relaunched, sort of, with Dark Horse. 
and now is a glorious library edition. Two of them. So we're going to do this episode, Volume 1. Library edition, Volume 2, is next week. 161. Oh, unprecedented. Never been done before. I don't the think speculators, I got to tell you, the paper keg speculators out there, I mean, yeah. the, the, the trifecta, they, we got t-shirts, which has been in the past the kiss of death. We have probably the biggest two shows we've ever done on a random episode number 160 and 161. I mean, what does it all mean? What does it all add up to? I don't know. This is the summer, when summer of P- PK, I mean, summer of so It's over. the summer of PK. Everyone knows that. If you want to check the the ancient Mason um, dossiers to see what it all means, <laughs> put it together. Dossiers. Maybe that information is in there. You have to go to your local Mason to find out. Give them Maybe the secret handshake. the secret of Freemasonry is the summer of paper keg. <laughs> Just biding its time for the last couple of hundred years. For the conditions <sighs> to be right. For the signs. At Jonesy. At Jonesy. I can't, I can't even. I, I don't even hear what Jones is saying. He's talking to his big pie plate in front of his <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I mean, he is just... His, it's like when you were a kid and you just press your lips up against a screen, a window screen. Yeah, it's like a window screen in front of his microphone, and I just all I see. Dale, your thoughts on wanting to life mute me? <laughs> I love you. That's that's two in a row. I think last week Jonesy had a hit on his hands when he called Dale a fuddy duddy. One of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever heard on the show. <laughs> And I think there was like three points during the letter segment where Dale just like, all right, I'm done. Right, I'm done. Go on. I'm done. Zero tolerance we need, policy. We need, to get into the sh- we need to get into the book club right now. We don't have a lot of time left in life or this episode. Let's be honest here. One foot in the grave. Fear Agent. Rick Remender. Tony Moore. Yaromo Pena coming onto the scene and is now a living legend. So we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonesy has graciously asked me to do the synopsis, so I'll probably just, you know, walk all over what could have been the synopsis, the greatest synopsis of all time from Jonesy. Do you want me to catch it from your faltering hands? Are you not prepared? <laughs> no, I, I can. I think I can do it, I guess. Sometimes you range from brief synopsis that sets the stage to Wikipedia... <laughs> <laughs> the whole story, and you people just shut the show off after that. So why bother listen? Heath Houston, Texas redneck, alien exterminator, sexy, sexy spaceman. So the Fear Agent book, you know, can you want to combine some genres? You have horror, sci-fi, war, all into one. Uh, Heath Houston is a essentially is an alien exterminator. People pay him to get rid of you know annoying aliens. So the first the first arc uh, shows him on a job, and he's sent in to kind of get rid of these these this race, the species that is getting up to no good, and that sets him on a course of various species that are up to no good, um, and he's he he sees kind of a a plan in action and stumbles into it. And what you don't know uh, early on is that he's got this dark past with these alien species, and that's why he's in outer space doing alien extermination. 
Um, but littered through the, the issues in the story at first are hints of what happened in the past. He's a heavy drinker. Alcoholic would be an understatement. But he's also prone to throw out amazing Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain quotes that fit the mood. And as you go on, he partners up with another with a female, Mara, who he stumbles into at this rest stop where these this alien race is kind of uh, sucking all the resources out of this rest stop. And they find out that there's a shipment of these aliens headed to Earth. So they decide to act and try to warn Earth. So they want to use this hyperfuel in his rocket to get to Earth to warn everybody, but for whatever reason, they get sent back in time, time travel. Fair warning. Uh, so they're back. They, they're essentially sent back in time about 20,000 years before what happened to Heath's past happened, and he realizes he can stop it. He can set things right. So he tries to do that, and they think they do it, but they get into an even more heap of trouble from this group of the, I think they're called the United Systems. I think United Systems. Um, they catch him and they say he's he was arrested for the crime of time travel. So he gets thrown into prison. He thinks he did it. He saved everybody. He saved Earth. Wrong. They put everything back in place. <laughs> and that that's the second trade. And that one ends with him trying it again. He tries to set things right again. And what's interesting about the series is the third trade is where it switched publishers. So the second trade ends with um, them going to Earth and finally doing battle with the alien species that has come to finish off the job that they started 10 years ago. And that's related to why Heath left in the first place. The third trade is actually a flashback and tells the story of what happened to Heath on Earth. Why is he in outer space? Why is he uh, an alcoholic times 100? What happened to his family? So the first two trades kind of pause for a bit. You don't know what's happening on Earth as they tell the story of how it all happened. And I thought that was a really interesting... um, pause moment for the series it's actually where i first started reading the series was the last goodbye because in typical dark horse fashion the last goodbye started as an issue number one um and they kept Uh the original numbering on the inside so it's like baltimore so i jumped in at the last goodbye and it's a flashback telling the story of how it all started it's like the perfect jumping on point so at the end of the third trade you are finally you finally find out why Heath is Heath currently. And uh, it sets you off course to to just want to keep reading. And that's Fear Agent. Jonesy loves beer. How did I do? I, it was an honor to hear you give that synopsis. My honor. I don't think I, I could have done any better. So I don't think... Had either of you read this far into the Fear Agent series previously to this? I have probably read it front to back twice. Uh, Maybe once last year. Actually, Mm -hmm. maybe both times last year. Really? I didn't know that. That's like like breaking news to me. Yeah, well, Fear Agent is your thing. 
you know, I don't like to go in and, and steal your fear agent love. You know, I don't want to be, you know, pandering to you. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it is beloved by me as well. And I'll tell you, Rick Remendo, uh, to, to be a fly on the wall, he must have said, let me take all these played out conventions of sci-fi and horror. All these archetypes that people are sick of. And you know what? I'm going to put a new shine on it, and I'm going to make you want to see those things again. And he really breathed the life, new life, into sci-fi when he did Fear Agent. I mean, what an amazing, refreshing, yet somehow parabolic, like a parable, you know what I mean? It's like an old story that we've seen before, but in such a new and great light. And the Mark Twain quotes, I mean, my God, could he have picked any better author to uh, spatter these quotes throughout his book? And what you get, the whole package is almost like an allegory to your life. So you have this action romp that is also at the same time this deep unfolding tale of one man's journey in life that even though it's like far out there and you will never have a gun to an alien brain's head but you'll make hard decisions and so you kind of really associate your, yourself with Heath and that's I, I think that's a breakthrough for a protagonist in a comic book series to be so not the same person I mean I'm not an alien exterminator yet but uh, to also really uh, feel that Heath is relevant and that you can really relate to him. Amazing work by Rick Remendo and Fear Agent. Uh, maybe his peak in this series. His peak, huh? Wow. Just poor Rick. Sorry. Fire, just, uh, fire Rick Remendo, right? Jonesy. And Jonesy then have him live tag. in my house. <laughs> is that a Facebook thing that I don't get? Fire oh, Rick Remendo? I don't understand. Goodness. You're working all the time now. Rick. Um, yeah, so I had read Reignition two or three times, and f- originally Slim from you, when I came up to your house to do the Nerdcast one time, you had let me borrow it. And you, you know, you nonchalantly try to let me discover it without trying to be pushy, which, yeah, which was a classy move. To. Which is a classy move. So I read it. That was my first time reading it. And then maybe. Uh, we read it again for the comics Paper podcast, Keg. maybe. It's Paper and Keg, then, I think six or Paper Keg seven. We did volume one. Yeah, that was so. That was the last time I had read Reignition, but I I remember reading it at least once on my own or for Nerd Nerdcast Comics. I can't remember quite which. Um, but yeah, so this is the first time I've read any any sort of depth of Fear Agent and. You know what you guys said is all true. I was—I mean, I'm completely surprised. I don't know what expectations I had about Fear Agent. I mean, obviously, other than the high praise that's showered upon it, but where it goes and how um, emotional, how deep it gets. Mm-hmm. I never would have expected this. And f- folks listening, like, I don't know if you had any preconceived notions about Fear Agent, but, I mean, this is like a crazy 
human story set in this awesome you know world building setting and and in in the forward he's rick remender's talking about how he's talking with tony moore about uh you know trying to uh refresh the sci-fi genre was kind of stale and not being done when fear agent first came out but i after i've only read reignition i've read it two or three times and i know how it ends but i never expected it to go deeper I thought Reignition was going to be like a Heath Houston introductory story. It would have been summed up and, and kind of fixed. But this is like, and I only read the first hardcover so far, but it's like an odyssey. It Yeah, Reignition 1 is, it kind of almost feels like the appetizer. Or almost a different, it's like a really you dipping the toe into this universe. And then he switches gears into volume two, which yeah. is like one of my all time favorite issues is when he is, he's been killed by the, the Tataldian. Um, he's ki- I, I, so that he's killed. I mean, yeah, it's from volume one to volume two. The, the, the pacing just gets more intense. It doesn't, like, Volume 1 isn't... I, I think I've pictured Fear Agent to be like, Volume 1 was going to be a taste of what Heath's life is, and then they were going to go and do more. He was going to go exterminate more alien races after that. Like, he was mm-hmm. going to get paid to do jobs, like an episodic kind of thing, maybe taking place in arcs or single issues. But it never lets go of the first arc, like the first concept in the first arc. And I love... Uh, not to cut you off, Dale, I love the fact that at no point in this entire series, and of course in the first uh, library edition, there is never a status quo to be maintained in Fear Agent. I mean, the only thing that comes close is the Tales of the Fear Agent backups, where you kind of see Heath's side jobs in between the time mm-hmm. he becomes an exterminator and the uh, Teltadian? Tel- Teltaldian? Um battle so tin cans tin cans uh, actually i'm <laughs> going to use that for now on uh so i don't have to repeat totality in sixty thousand times but there's never a status quo it just ramps up it go it starts uh through his last perceivable exterminating job yeah and then it never yeah. lets go it's it it never goes off the rails it's there's no status quo and it just marches to right. that to that ending because in the first in the first arc it sets up what a fear agent is. So then you're like, oh well, this guy's going to get paid. I mean, he's a drunk and he lives his life the way he does, but he's going to get paid to go handle nasty alien infestations or whatever. But it never does that. So in the second arc, I mean, they just turn it they just turn it up to eleven. I mean, he dies in the arc. He dies. Yeah, in it's the like last issue page six. Of, the he's last dead. page of the first trade, he gets stomped on by uh gen 2 and that's that his he even says he's like up oh, you know my spine's broken this is it yeah and then the last page is him with a big foot of of gen 2 crushing his spine the the rope the tin can and then volume 2 is him kind of you know kind of thrown off the side underwater and him pretty much coming to grips with this is it um, this is this is how I die, and I twittered, tweeted the 
his entire kind of volume. his speed. <laughs> I, I wish I could have. <laughs> um, but that that issue when he's floating underwater, coming to grips with his death, and this is the end of his life, and he and the Samuel Clemens quotes that are sprinkled in there are next to the the final two issues of the series, my all time favorite comic book pages. I mean, you Jonesy nailed it when it when you see yourself as Heath. And I think Andrew from Polycomics Ad Custom jokingly I think he read the first library edition when it came out or the first trade and I asked him what he thought and he's like, Oh, I can see, you know, why you like this. You're Heath or you know, you view yourself as Heath and that's exactly right. I there are so many moments in this book where and I, I have to I have to say that this is why I think it's so popular is that people that read this put themselves put themselves in Heath's boots or his, Heath's shoes, you know. And in a certain part of your life, things aren't going the way you planned at all, and you're in the dumps, and you're just miserable, and you're drinking, and you're mm-hmm. thinking of what could have been. And Heath is in that spot for like the entire volume. He's coming to grips with the decisions he's made, the terrible decisions. And even when he's got, he does make good decisions during the book, but at a lot of times when he first sees Charlotte again, he's kind of, he's still a deadbeat. You know, he tells her that he's not drinking anymore. He's like, I gave that up. And the guy you know, comes came, back with a box of booze. Yeah. I have your supplies here, Mr. Houston. But I mean, at, at his core, Heath is someone, you know, it's it's kind of tropey, but I feel like it's, Remender does it so well in this, but he's a character seeking redemption for something that he did, and he just wants to make things right, no matter what, at what cost. But he's, I mean, but you, but you summed it up earlier, he's a redneck from Texas. He, he, he has no business, I mean, he would probably tell you that, at least at some point, he has no business being in space. He has no business finding himself in the position he's in. He's he's literally probably the most flawed human being ever. I mean, he's he had a, a you know, a, I guess an okay pretty to pretty good life when he had his wife and son and his dad and stuff, but I mean, he's he wasn't the best of guys. He was probably his moral compass was askew, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And and after he loses what good that kept him grounded, he just spins. I mean, he spins off the rails. He's not he's not a good guy. He's not a bad guy, but he's not a decision maker. He's not looking out for himself. And I I most I wanted to associate him really. And if you guys watch True Detective, he's like Rust Cole. He has he has this death wish. I mean, he's willing to die whenever it's time. He's not going to fight death. And it was that was in pretty that was pretty impactful because when he's you know when he's sinking in the water, which you know he died at the end of the first uh, story arc, which I didn't never thought he was going to actually die, but he he's just ready for death. I mean, he's just living through. He's just going through life waiting for death to come. Mm-hmm. And, and he will not fight it. He will not fight it when it comes. And there's, I just, there's just so many, 
like it, you could write something like this, but I don't think it's ever been written this well for the anti-hero, the Wolverine character. You can see those parallels with Heath as much as anyone probably can, but I mean, we're skipping all over the place, but the second yeah. trade, he goes back to Earth. He knows that they're going back to Earth. What they did didn't work. He's with Mara. They've, you know, so um, real quick, done so the he's, whoopee. He does die, but an an, an underwater alien race saves him and clones him. <laughs> yeah. The well, yeah, we can go to the to the first trade and dissect a little bit. But there's just one scene where he talks about he goes and sees Charlotte. She's alive. His his wife, who you don't even you you were led to believe she died or is just out of the picture, and he sees her with another man who is kind of like a younger non-alcoholic version of him and his name's keith Um, keith oh my god i forgot (laughs) so he kind of you know he's he's in that position with his wife for the first time in a decade and he's he tries to get back into that groove of like you know you know i'm back i'm i'm heath you know you're in love with me i can be this a-hole as much and she doesn't have any part of it and at that point mara is even done with him because she's she didn't think she, she was still alive and at the end and he sees their plans and they're going to try to you know bring earth back and he's out there looking at earth through that mirror and he's like whiskey can't touch this pain no man i ever knew could cope with seeing his ex with another man and breaks the heart open all over again there's just like those moments where heath is by himself talking about the pain and the depression that he's seeing is just like it cuts so deep that I, you can't help me personally. You can't help but relate to Heath and just be Heath during this mm-hmm. book. And you, yeah. and like in my head, like I'm Heath. I'm going through all of this with him. You want Heath to catch that break. You want him to make things right during this and entire book. And it's because as soon as he's done being a d bag to Charlotte and Keith, he's walking back to his room and he's he's in her monologue. He's like, "Man, this is killing me," but I'm. I'm a d. I'm being a d bag right now, and I'm like I'm being a total a hole. But it's like my defense, and you just he's hurting these people. He just got reacquainted with, but and you're just, and you're just like, come on, man, why do you why do you have to be like why do you have to put up this right. wall already? Like the wall's yeah. up already. Well, let, let's get into that. And wall. he recognizes it. Mm-hmm. I I know we're we're gonna talk about each volume, but. We got to talk about why he, the way he is, because maybe we I should have, save it until we get to that. To the, are you the, sure? Because <laughs> I have some thoughts. Yeah, because we're getting well, deep, deep. We are getting deep. So the maybe we can just breeze through the the first two. But I mean, yeah. not breeze, but but you're right. The first trade. I, I also think it's interesting the parallels and the different tones that Tony Moore's art has versus Yeah Rome, Opeña. And man, I love early. Opeña art you know, it, it's I think his art has evolved to the point where he can't really even do monthly comics anymore because he takes so long to to create the art style that he has now but this is like super early Opeña it might even be his first like monthly work ever um, so that first trade it's him and him going to this rest stop he gets a gig from somebody he knows in the past uh, Thomas York uh, to go check out these feeder or check out this rest stop, and he gets there, and uh-huh. there's nobody there, and he and he sees that these this alien race 
of feeders are there and they're essentially you know just picture alien from alien you know those aliens once they're mm-hmm. there you're screwed so he tries to hightail it out of there um and he meets up with mara who's kind of hiding there sexy little minx of a woman and she tells him that you know she overhears that there's a big delivery of these feeders essentially going somewhere and they find out that it's going to earth and at this point you don't know Heath's backstory outside of he screwed up somehow a long time ago and he's like well man we, we got to go back and and it, and get there before these feeders do and they get into his rocket and the fuel that uh Annie his rocket his like uh AI rocket has used was kind of tampered with so they use this hyper fuel and it sends them back in time to before anything has happened to earth before the aliens attacked earth um and i i i, I can't remember how i felt initially reading this because i mean that's like issue issue 3 you're already deep into time travel like 20,000 years um the main character is now time traveled with this female character. I thought that was, I mean, it's kind of ballsy, but I mean the, the settings and the tone of the book it is ballsy. Yeah. It, it fits and it fit perfectly in, right. Because in terms it's of the not, story. it, because it, because it wasn't, it's not like it's a one-off thing. And you guys will see if you read, it's not, it's a one-off thing to like move the story along. Cause he needed to get there by issue three. That's how it is. The whole pacing of the whole run. Mm hmm. He just thrust you into the next predicament quickly. And, and the so they're back in time, but the alien race that attacked Earth were there's two of them, the Dressites, which are kind of they're wearing this kind of ecto suit and they have this kind of blob inside of it, and the Tataldians, which are these robotic race, kind of like Terminators, and they're tr- they've transferred back to a time before the Tataldians have grown strong and i thought that was i thought it was so interesting that they traveled back in time so far that they're at a point where the tataldians are becoming that race and not only that so that that the tin cans are just a brain inside of a robot and they've gone back so far that the actual bodies that those brains came from are now starting to be turned into robots and there's like this uprising between the actual uh, species and the robots, and they tell this story about how it happened, and and eventually you get roped into the the, the leader discovers that this human has come back in time so far and confirmed their main goal. There's like, oh, this human has come back in time and said that we rule in the future and we destroyed his planet. So my plan is going to work. And that you get into that weird mixture of time travel proving itself. And like they, the reason that this race was able to get to Earth is because they discovered, you know, like space travel. And they hadn't even developed it yet until Heath's rocket got there. (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. And one of the uh, one of the better touches, too, is they they find out the only weakness is uh, their joints. And Gen 2 robot is like, oh, and by the way, uh, I, now I also know our greatest weakness and how to defend against it. <laughs> so thanks for serving everything we need up on a silver <laughs> platter. 
I mean, it was like the the biggest the all time backfires. Really, is what it came down to. Well, you could basically say that about the entire series. Then that mm-hmm. Heath is in the middle of the biggest all time backfires in human history. <laughs> yeah, abs- absolutely. I mean, it's it's unforgiving what Rick Remender does to Heath Houston. He and it, you could th- he, he's like the biggest f up ever unintentionally. He didn't intend. He didn't intend to travel back in time, but he figured since he was, yeah, Rick makes Rem- some changes. But Rick Remender just makes Heath Houston his his like pincushion, and and he says in the forward of hardcover. I mean, he he wrote Heath Houston. He was going through a lot of things, a lot of depressing times in his life, and he mirrored Heath Houston to talk to uh, to uh, reflect that in his life. And it's, I mean, it's not kind. It's not kind times I mean, to Heath Houston. The best part about Heath Houston is that every decision he makes, everybody in this room would be like, that is a perfect, reasonable decision that a responsible human male would make, and there's nothing wrong about Heath making it. And then the universe just makes every choice he makes the most damnable option that he could have <laughs> yeah. made. The universe itself is against Heath. He's like, oh, did you want to save the entire human race? Well, guess what? We're going to make it so that by doing that, uh, you've created this master race that can wipe out anything they want. Have a nice day with your dumb decisions. It's awful for Heath. How about the he gets help with... Um the jelly brains to help battle against the Tatalians. And so he comes back, he and Mara, they're like, okay, we can get out of here. We can zip back home. And, but there's something wrong with the ship. So he, he needs to go out and hold these two wires together for a period of time. And he can't let go. Otherwise the whole thing's going to blow up. And as he's doing that, um, cat, one of the, one of the Astorgians, who eventually becomes uh, Tataldian, he murders uh, Mara in the ship. And the only thing Heath sees is this big brute of an ape carrying out Mara's corpse from Annie, his ship. And he can't let go of the wires. He just has to stand there and watch <laughs> as her corpse is drug out of the ship. And then he finally can let go, and he's just like, I can't get anything right. He's like, there's nothing I do in life that goes right. And he's just like grief-stricken, just watching it all happen. He's just like, F it. Just F and everything. How about that moment when he falls off the ship about to spring to action to go get her, and he's accidentally traveled back forward in time? Yeah. Can you imagine that moment where he's like, I'm going to sit. Wait a minute. Holy crap. I'm, I'm in the future. I have no way of going back to save you. Because... Once again, he makes a totally human, heroic decision that just immediately backfires right in his face. Amazing stuff, Rick Remendo. The, the, the stuff after that, like, that was another cliffhanger issue where, you know, he's ready to go home, but they, they travel back to the current time frame, but there's, like, this society that oversees all time travel shenanigans, and they catch what Heath did, and they essentially put him in prison for the crime of, of tampering with time. And he's just thrown into prison, and they they kind of gloss over bits and pieces of things that eventually maybe become more relevant later in the story about how there's been different versions of Heath that have gone through the same process because the time travel shenanigans have happened. So there's been like 13 attempts by A. Heath Houston to make things right. 
and they finally caught the prime Heath Houston version, which is a clone, um, which a lot of this stuff, I, th- I can't remember who I was talking to about the story when they first read it. It might even be uh, Mary Sale. Um, what was her nickname on the show? Mrs. Meat? Mrs. Beef. Mrs. Beef. <laughs> Meat. <laughs> um, she kind of got bogged down in the time travel stuff, but I do want to say that you can kind of just read through and not have to sweat the time travel stuff a no. whole lot because Don't it think doesn't it. play a pivotal point in your enjoyment of the series. And so Heath is essentially just thrown into prison and then becomes addicted to the most addictive drug in the solar system because it's he's like just super in prison. Heroin. Yeah, Mara has has been revived, but she's also thrown in prison. They kind of cloned her, and so she's still alive. Uh, and he's just stuck there, so he's like, "I just need to get just to get out of this space." So he just willingly takes the drug and then just closes his eyes for the next few months. Yeah, he willingly takes. He sees this alien lobster getting high <laughs> on this supply. He willingly takes this drug because he's got nothing left so he's like i'm just gonna ride this out basically it's it's how, crazy it's crazy how about his face where he he tries to sneak the drug off the alien lobster and then they notice so he's like he just goes into like <laughs> berserker mode and murders the alien with like the the death like i don't know how you even describe the faces that he makes in this i think Otto phrased it like you're you're blind with rage or something later in volume three he described it perfectly but this is one of those points where Heath just like loses it you know the background goes red and he just has like this frothy face and murders this i think he, the quote was like he i opened his head like it was a pecan and <laughs> yeah. and then eventually so like time goes by he's just he's just in a solitary prison he, i mean he looks haggard when they come when they come and get him eventually they say like okay we've changed your mind you're free to go and then that is glossed over like why would they ever let heath go at this point right and eventually you might get a information why in addition to but man he is just an ugly looking human being when he's succumbed to this drug and then he says uh when he's beating the alien to death he's he's like i'm not uh uh, I, n- I'm not expecting an answer when I ask the goo in my fists. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> dear Jesus, man, how did you end up back here again? That's what he is asking the goo. I, you know what I just realized as we're talking about this? The running gag of him being an imperfect kind of S-E clone pays off in the end, doesn't it? I didn't realize it. At first, but this spoilers, whole first Jonesy, volume where they, uh, it's not spoiler territory. Yeah, no one I just has said read pays th- off. That's <laughs> all I said. It pays off. Jeez. I'm going to retreat maybe. back into my cocoon. <laughs> Jonesy, why don't you just tell everybody what happens in the last no. uh, trade of fear? How about, how about I don't? Because let's just rein it in. This is your day. And, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. I it, will actually, say, it, there's, it, I mean, it's difficult to keep in mind that this isn't the the real Heath. Like he is a clone as of issue five going forward. His body a, a pretty he crappy died. clone. And so the jelly brain race that he ended up he murdered one of them in the first trade, 
he went back in time that jelly brain race is like the peaceful thinkers they're just ever so wise and they find him and clone him and save his life so the one that he murdered in the first trade ends up saving his life in the second trade 20,000 years in the past mentally discovers that Heath is going to kill him one day <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 the i mean just some of that stuff is kind of like if you 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 almost can't think about it i mean he even realizes he's a clone because he wakes up and realizes his fear agent tattoo is gone. Like that kind of, I feel like that would just mess with your mind so much, realizing that you're not you, you're another version of you, but you just have all those memories. Like I feel like that would just screw with your head so often for the rest of your life. I mean, I believe Heath's uh, comment is, well, I'm happy about the new liver. Yeah. Yeah. And but but you're right. You can't like if you do think about it, you you'll just keep thinking about how much more effed up Heath Houston's life is. Right. I mean, it's that's all. It all goes back to that. Mm-hmm. So you you're better off not thinking about it. Guys, we need to talk about Volume Three because I need to spin this to you. All right. I'm gonna go total beat poet style, and uh, you guys just stop me when I'm going on too long. So the Earth becomes the battleground between two alien races. Okay? Yeah, set the stage. So what they tried to do in Volume 2 failed, and yet, so everything was put back right. He he stopped the Tataldians from becoming a thing, but the timekeepers put everything back in place. They're like, you can't screw with this. It has to happen. And now he does get back to Earth. Him and Mara knock boots and they wake up and they're in front of Earth as the feeders and such had had been delivered successfully from Volume 1. And what about him just completely getting off on all charges? Like something, like somebody's pocket right. was the strings. Yeah. That's in, yeah, that's, it's like a, I can't. It's like a small panel where they say, oh, we changed your mind, you're free to go, go ahead. And then that's all that yeah. you know from for yeah. this for this edition. That's all right, John. I just wanted so, to set the stage okay. for people that haven't read it's all right. it. It's okay. That's all right. It's okay. So they're on Earth, uh, and Heath has returned to the ruined husk of his home planet to valiantly fight these feeders on his own, only to get saved by the fear agents. His core once thought wiped out. Charlotte is alive. Mara don't want no, no more. No more of him. And Heath thinks back to how it all began. The Earth is the battleground, if you will, between the Dressites and the Teltadians, the, the Tin Cans. And hit a bunch of Texas neighbors and friends uh, find a bomb shelter and live there. And uh, when they eventually open the doors, Earth is in a radiated apocalyptic landscape. And it's still a battleground between two alien forces. And Heath kind of becomes their quasi-leader as an ex-military man himself as he helps... Go ahead. But... There was, a thong, you, there was a tongue click in there that, that warmed me to stop. Well, you're, you're spinning back to the past, but it just, why, why he reminisces about it to begin with, 
Like why the arc exists to begin with. I'm get. I'm trying to get there slowly. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm ebbing up to it, like the flow of a river into the ocean. Okay, I didn't know you were. That's okay. I'm Zen right now. I'm in Zen. So, so volume three goes through the trials and tribulations of the fear agents up until the fact that they're so strapped that they spring a trap on themselves. The final push in this war between the two races. And Heath is confronted with the most terrible decision a human being must ever face. Now, put yourself in his shoes, guys. You're from the Earth. You have no knowledge of alien races. You only know that these two races want to kill. You think that your wife is dead. You have nothing to live for. Your son has dead, died years ago. Your only child. Everything you know and love has been eradicated. The only thing left for you to do is to strike at the heart of the enemies that have taken everything away from you. So you do that. You take the weapon, the only weapon you have left, you push that denable portal button and you drive that poison into the Dressite homeworld and you strike one for Earth in a war you can't possibly win. But guess what, guys? The, the United Systems come in finally to save the fear agents because they've been waiting in the wings for, you know, God knows how long, just watching it all on, you know, unfurl. And they inform them that, hey, um, you know, the Teltalians are the evil ones here. We sent the Dressite army to hold them back. And unfortunately, the, the army is so disliked on the innocent homeworld of Dressia that uh, they created, they performed a bunch of war crimes because they're just a-holes. It's a good thing that the homeworld hates them and full of innocent life. And Heath realizes that in the only decision he could make, logically as a man, he has accidentally committed genocide on an entire race of millions of alien life forms that are innocent. Trillions. Total total D-bag move on the part of Rick Mender right there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I mean, you're you're reading this volume, you know, in your head, man, Heath's family murdered. What has put him into this miserable state that he just wants to drink whiskey until he passes out and can't breathe anymore? What has he done in the past? This is like before Old Man Logan. I mean, this is like Old Man Logan. What happened to Old Man Logan? Why is is he not popping his claws anymore? This for me, this was that moment. Like, what did Heath do in his past that set him on this course? Because before the flashback starts, he's sitting on the edge of a cliff overlooking the biggest graveyard you've ever seen in your, you know, exist you could ever imagine. You know, the planet. And Earth. he's drinking a bottle of whiskey through a straw in his into his space helmet. Like he's just he's so beyond. He can't probably can't even stand like he's so he's drooling at the mouth. He's so beyond sober (laughs) and he's just overlooking a graveyard thinking and then it fleshes back to what we're talking about now. And in two panels, after Heath does this heroic thing in like two panels, you find out that Heath Houston, after the fact, has committed genocide and eradicated an entire 
race of peaceable aliens. Guys, what option? What other option did he have? He didn't. He thought all of his friends were dead. He was the last man on Earth, essentially. It was the only playable card. You said D bag move by Rick Remender. Elaborate. Yeah. Do you you just mean like Heath <laughs> pulled the ultimate D bag card, or like no? It's like what do you mean? I, I don't know. I'm I, believe me. I'm I've not that I'm condoning genocide in any way. Obviously, no. Exactly. Like <laughs> just D bag moved that to how to spring that on the reader, and how you find out Heath Houston's just another f up again because. I mean, other than like the the mom and kid dress site, like the the biggest d bag move is oh nobody liked the dress site army. That's why they're on Earth. Nobody liked them. Not even the dress sites on Dressia liked the dress site army. That's why. But that's why they're being so mean to you. Like that's just that's just a little too convenient. I mean, mm. a little too convenient that the entire mm. dress site army that's invaded invaded Earth. Are d bags to every surviving human because they were, hmm. I don't know, they felt ostracized uh, at home. Yeah, they felt ostracized. So they're taking it out on the human survivors. Like, oh, come on. I mean, Rick, that that um, that storyline is expanded upon in the the next three trades. But I mean, the, the, Remender really lays it on during that issue where. You know, you come to love members of the Fear Agent Corps. They're just regular dudes that survived the apocalypse. And Rick the, is, or uh, Rick, Heath is just so hungry for revenge. He's like frothing at the idea of revenge against these two races that have destroyed his life, Earth, at, like at any point. So this this last trade kind of time jumps like, you know... They spend three. There's a few. There's a few things that I, you know, that aren't perfect in this volume in my book. The the time they spent <laughs> in the uh, shelter in the shelter. They spent three months underground in the shelter. Where, I mean, first of all, first issue. Tony Moore did a great job of just showing the grief and horror in the parents' yeah. faces yeah. and body when Heath's dad and son are vaporized in fire. And like the ten- the tension that builds with, okay, we're having a great time on the farm. Boom, f- grandfather and son vaporized, alien race attacking. Like holy crap, what do we do now? So there's a there's a lot of moments where Heath and Char just you know they can't, they don't have time to grieve at that point. You have time to get the f out of there in your tractor trailer before you get vaporized. So he throws Charlotte in the back of his tractor trailer, and he's like, please, God, let me just turn this corner, and let me just turn this corner. He's like, oh, yeah, we did it. Boom, your truck explodes. It's on its side. <laughs> and, like, he's, he's like, near death. He's got shards of glass in his back. Uh, Charlotte is, like, seriously injured in the back of the trailer. And they go to town. Otto, his, like, friend, picks him up with his niece. And they go into town. It's just chaos. It's, like, the chaos is so well done that, like, you are almost crapping your own pants, thinking, like, what? how are they going to get out of this? Because people's faces are getting ripped off by the Zarins. I can't remember the, the reptile race that is also there. There's a third alien race <laughs> that scavengers. essentially are scavengers. They 
just follow the the Tataldians and Dressites as they battle, and they just go for scraps. They just pick up what's left. And they have rockets. They have jetpacks. So there's this awesome moment where Charlotte is kidnapped in front of Heath, so he loses his mind. He's like, you know, I got to do... What, what do I got to do in this position? What would any man do? He kills one of his reptiles and put on the GDAM jetpack. Amazing. He's flying, zipping around, looking for Charlotte, his wife, with a jetpack on his back. I thought it was like one of the most badass sci-fi scenes you could possibly think of where you go from like zero to regular Earth to 100. Like, okay, Welcome this is Earth. sci-fi awesomeness. I will say one of the most iconic images that's repeated in Fear Agent is that panel where Heath is flying out of the page with his fist leading the way with that jetpack trail in the rear. And it's repeated many times mm-hmm. in the first three volumes where he's going to fly right at the problem and take care of it. So they eventually get wind that there's a underground shelter that they know of a neighbor. So how heartbreaking is it? They get to this shelter late. And the family that has allowed them to come into this shelter, the, the mother opens the door, and one of the reptile just, like, rips out her guts the next second because she opened that door. And not only that, but her corpse is just thrown down into the cellar where her family is waiting for her. And, I mean, that just creates instant conflict because the family of that woman, like, why are you an hour late? You know, my mother just let you in here, and now she's dead because she wanted to be kind to you? Like... Man, the tension in that shelter as soon as Heath and family get there, through the roof. And and they live in the shelter, for th- a closed shelter for three months with the decomposing bodies right, because they can't family. open the door. They're too afraid to open the door. Yeah, because right before that, there's some kind of bomb that goes off above them. So, I mean, like, and then there's like a thing that says like three months pass. And I just thought it was like on reread, I think I've noticed it before, but on reread, three months pass first sentence is like so what pieces are we missing for this radio and i'm like thinking in my head like you wait three months to ask that question like wouldn't that be question number one how do we fix this radio i just thought it was like an oddly placed question and i mean where are they where do they p and s in this shelter for three months it's got to smell so rancid down Mm -hmm. there that i have to imagine people just die from the fumes of just the acidic feces and vomit and urine down there yeah i mean that if you sit around and pee with (laughs) no vent ventilation i'm pretty sure that turns toxic after a while i just have to imagine i never thought during our fear agent discussion (laughs) that we would devolve into pee fume analysis (laughs) look we we got to talk about all aspects of this book we we are we have to it's our job where else folks would you get this kind of hard-hitting uh, analysis as a fear agent. Yeah. I just use analysis a lot in the last two minutes. What I found most interesting was Heath Houston helped originate the fear agents. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're if you picture the fear agents being like the Howling Commandos, they're all you know the first generation of fear agents. They had like makeshift uniforms, and you know they're training by scavenging alien. Uh, hardware and stuff like that, and I thought it was really cool that whole the whole system where they eventually pulled their s together and called themselves the fear agents and became a a fighting unit that could potentially stand up against small droves of mean dressite armies that are fighting for them, but not really yeah, I mean the fear agents 
when you're reading the volume and you're thinking of you think the fear agent are like a military faction but it's just like you and your neighbor pretty much like a crisis has happened in your town and you and your neighbors band together and form this group and that's it there's no like they're not the army they just learn how to deal with the earth as it has become amazing the part where you see heath do that i mean there's even the scene with otto there's a quote from otto where he's like he's Heath is so blind with rage he thinks that the conspiracy theorist he he discovers the th- conspiracy guy you know did a deal with the dressites and when they went to confront the dressites on the moon to surprise them they were waiting for them and they find out that the the nerd did it he he sac- he like told them they were coming so when they get back to earth to like bust heads he thinks his wife is dead you know it's all for naught then Otto saves his life, and he dies. And then Heath is even like, "That's it. I'm going to mm. Dressite Planet. I'm just going to wipe them mm. all out." I've because had that's what you should do at that point. Of course, I mean, I can't blame him. And he, but there's a great moment. He like just, he just insults Otto right before this. You know, he he just tears him down. <sighs> so and Otto is like, he's you know he's like, "Don't do it." You know. Don't go killing all those people. That quote was just so great. Like Otto knows how angry Heath is. He's just like, don't do it. Don't don't go killing them. And but Heath does it anyway. He goes and drops off the tractor trailer of essentially like what will destroy that entire race. Yeah, which was a little bit out of left field, and you know, and that, I think it's you know a couple of the problems that with Volume Three, but. Before now, you didn't know, other than the warring dressites that are on Earth, you didn't know they had a home planet that you know was populous, and you didn't know that they were willing, they were getting ready to take out the home planet until like mm-hmm. t- in two panels are like that's it, I, I got to go, I'm going to go blow up this planet because I'm sick of this, and and uh, and then that's where it starts spinning out of control with, uh, well, first Otto, Otto's Otto and Heath likes confrontation out of the blue like that was random but then when Otto kind of like redeemed redeemed when he's like begging but that's when you first hear about it. he's like begging don't don't kill that race just because there's a few uh dressites eradicating the planet earth <laughs> like right even Otto kind of was prescient that like maybe they're not all bad right he's like don't even after don't all that? just because their army is doing that but that's but and... that's when you first hear about the uh a, a faction of the dressites that's not an army Mm-hmm. And I think it was like literally the the page before that. Uh, the scientist reveals that he did travel to the Dressite planet, and Heath is like pissed off. He's like, "I told you not to use that transporter again after you first visited." So there's mm-hmm. like a like a vague comment that they have traveled to the Dressite planet, and they just totally gloss over it. Like it's a it's a it's like nothing. Like, I wish there was another issue or another 10 pages for them to kind of expand on, like, whoa, when did that happen? Yeah. When did you get the transporting power, and how did you figure out how to go to these rando planets? Yeah, yeah, rando. because I think to, uh, Tom York went, Tom York's like, it was my call yeah. to make or something, and I we had to make a decision, and it's like, what, wait a minute, you I mean, you didn't, we didn't know anything about this before, but then he go, he drives, through, drives the truck through the portal, and blo- I mean, he eradicates <laughs> trillions 
of dressite, peaceful dressites that you didn't know were peaceful up until seconds after he's done eradicating. That's when the help. Sh- that's when the cavalry shows up. They've been they've mm-hmm. been at war for a year or more because they've built they've found at least hundreds of uh, people and recruited them to be a functioning fear agent force with troops and army knowledge and stuff. So they've been at this for at least a year, at least. And then uh, when it comes down to it, you know, all the fear agents are wiped out in minutes. And then Heath Houston eradicates, commits genocide against the Dressites five minutes after that. The the, uh, peacekeeping force, the cavalry shows up and he's like, oh, you know what? Bad time. Reminds me of that scene the, in the, the mist. Tital- Remember the that? Tataldians just eradicated the peace-loving dressites, and they hated. Oh, yeah. They hated their army that was fighting for you guys. But so and so, nobody had like a rolled up the dress. None of the dressites had like a rolled up parchment that like with English on it. I'm here. <laughs> we're here for you <laughs> for a year I, or more. I love the fact <laughs> that the United Systems guys like we never. We underestimated the guile, the telltale. Oh, God. What a great <laughs> sentence that was. I always get a kick out of that when I read it. And then Char is just like slowly, you can even just imagine her like slowly <laughs> looking over to <laughs> and And then she is, she, where does she get off? Like she she is so turned off by Heath and, and what he did. But when you as the reader are finding out for the first time that there was this peace-loving race, Charlotte's like you you piece of crap like how, what else was he supposed to do I, I'm why I'm like squealing now <laughs> I'm squealing I mean we, we the, don't logically we don't the only decision he could have made exactly yeah for to us because we had as the reader we had no idea that there was a planet of peace peaceable I keep saying peace just knock it all out the, the dressites were friendly, but we'd never. But the the murderous dressites are the only ones that humans ever came in contact with. Mm-hmm. But seconds after Heath does it, Tom York or or the uh, you know the United Earth Force shows up and says, "Oh yeah, um, somebody just eradicated a planet full of peaceable dressites." Yeah, sure, it's like Heath, you piece of crap. I'm so done with you. I'm so done with what you just did. How could you do that? I'm gonna throw away all these heroics and our entire marriage over what's ostensibly a reasonable mistake to make. <laughs> right, right. The, um, and I saw your eyebrow raise, but Tom York is, is a character in the first trade. It's, he's the guy that tells Heath to go to that outpost where the feeders are, and it's revealed that the Dressites were pulling his strings during that period of time. So the Dressites... If you if you go to the timeline, you know, Heath eradicates the Dressite world, Trillion's dead, ten years go by, there are Dressites that are conspiring to do to do more worse to Earth, and they're doing it by nefarious means, which we didn't, you know, see previously. Yeah, and I, that's actually, bef- until we started recapping the book, I had completely forgot that was Tom York, and I had completely forgot that, like, the dressites were using him as like a hand puppet <laughs> and the dressites were just like had their goo up his a and they were speaking <laughs> with Tom York's mouth the whole time. I forgot that was Tom York and I forgot that when they ran into him as a cop 
who just lost his wife that he was relevant throughout the the whole story pretty much i I completely forgot about that I mean, I played it earlier, but you want to just sit back and relax and just just play the national you know as as you just just sit and read this this volume of fear agent that's all you need to do this this was maybe perhaps my favorite book club discussion we've ever done oh my gosh 160 episodes this might be the one wow (laughs) and there's still an episode left guys there's a yeah there's at least one more episode of paper cake left (laughs) (laughs) allegedly a lot can happen in a week library edition volume one of fear agent you know i have the benefit of knowing how the story ends so it's interesting to me how you dale like see certain aspects of the story with one lens where you know you get the rest of the story as you go on and yeah i'm i'm like really peaked now especially when i would say some things and you would react a certain way i'm like okay okay <laughs> well maybe it's not just maybe it's all part of the puzzle i mean volume th- the the end of this series is is where i mean you know it, this volume is an emotional gut punch but like the end is you getting punched in the gut and then kneed in the nose and then kicked in the gut with a foot for like 5 minutes and it's just the, the volume 2 is like the entire 10 minutes the last 10 minutes of the uh, the wrath of khan spock's dead but he was the most Human. <laughs> that was actually an amazing William Shatter. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Oh, First volume. Rick Remender. Rick. Our champion. Paper cake champion, Rick Remender. Summer of PK. I mean, I have the last two issues at work on a wall next to my desk. Mm. That's the anticipation that I can't wait for us to talk about the end of this book. Did you drum those up or did you go uh, go seeking after? Uh, I actually grabbed those two issues, I think, at Baltimore Comic Con maybe two years ago. Mm. One last Comic-Con. thing. How about the Samuel... Clemens quote at the end of this book with the house burning mm-hmm. down. I wish there was somebody in my life that whenever I went through something tough, they would send me a cue card with a, a poignant quote of Mark Twain just like on it for me to read and just understand deeply about what life was about. Did Rick Remender just outline did he have bullet points of all Samuel Clemens quotes and just kind of jived and like matched up a scene with a quote I to think I get asked the dialogue him, just right I think I asked him that on the Comicsology podcast and yeah I remember he, you asked him. he said something like he he had a book of Samuel Clemens quotes and knew which one would fit perfectly Don't fire Rick Remender. 
Is that a Facebook what thing or that? something? Is, or is, what is that? that? What is that? that I, oh, you know what? You knew it. Came in right from my throat. Ripping out that juggler. I'm scared to Google that phrase now because I don't know what's going to happen. Don't bother. Should be. My wife just uh, messaged me and asked why I would reference a quote and not read it. So now I have to uh, pull up the burning house quote. Wow. Executive producing tips from uh, the next room over. She's cutthroat, man. Uh, Mara is reaching over to Heath. This is after the flashback ends. He's overseeing the graves on the moon. A man's house burns down. The smoking wreckage represents only a ruined home that was dear through years of use and pleasant associations. By and by, as the days and weeks go on, First he misses this, then that, then the other thing. And when he casts about for it, he finds that it was in that house. Always it is an essential. There was but one of its kind. It cannot be replaced. It was in that house. It was irrevocably lost. It will be years before the tale of lost essentials is complete. And not till then can he truly know the magnitude of his disaster. It fits perfectly. Good, good grief. <laughs> we got your letters. I'm gonna open them up. Farrington's gonna read them to you. Letters at paperkeg.com. You shoot us a letter, we might read it on the era. All right, our uh, first letter comes from uh, Stuart McPherson. Over there in Scotland. Hey, hey, dirty at Dirty Stew on the Twitter. Hi, I just want to, I just, I just want to say thank you for doing the show every week. You entertain the masses with your show. I can't believe the amount of time you must spend reading and the amount of time you spend ignoring your families for the show. And Dale's favorite part. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm a dad of two and hardly have any time to read a comic, never mind several. I always seem to do midnight readings. As a matter of fact, so do I. So do we, probably. Jonesy's doesn't sleep. He's a vampire. <laughs> when was the last time anyone saw Jonesy's family? Who knows even if they still exist? <laughs> exactly. Not if, jo- if, you were to, if Jonesy were to lift his hands up right now, they would have like long, wretched fingernails. <laughs> like, and he would, they would be crossed over his chest like Howard he would just Hughes? rise. <laughs> Was really looking forward to the X Men No More Humans, but after reading your reviews, after hearing your reviews, I was sadly disappointed. Hoping the next X Men book club will be gambit heavy. A question from a previous show was an '80s film that could be a comic book. What about Labyrinth with David Bowie? 
Sorry for this never-ending letter, but my question, outside of the big two, what is your favorite publisher? Mine is Boom Studios. Yet to read any fr- anything from them that I didn't like. Thanks, at Dirty Still. I think we all know Dale's answer. Dark Horse. All right, troll, Game troll, over. Troll, 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 horse. <laughs> okay, What's wrong we're, with that? Moving you, on? you say we're... it like it's a bad thing. Why can't it be Dark Horse um, without... It can. You... You can't, yeah, I can, and then got you him. just like you just punch him. me in your stomach just with your his eminence, <laughs> Jonesy. What is your favorite publisher outside of the big two? Uh, Image, I would say. Hmm. Hmm. Image doing some good, I tell you. They are Outcast, Bobby Kirkman, loved it, brilliant. You read you? Are you telling me you have read a comic within the past two weeks? A new comic? Yeah, didn't I? Lies. Didn't I talk about Outcast? Last week? Two we did. Ago? Oh, yeah. Two weeks right. ago, we did. Taylor doesn't even know what day it is. Taylor's about I'm to flip so, over the Justice Society hardcover. That I'm he sorry. Uses as a I'm, desk. I am detoxing. I'm low on energy. <laughs> I have, I have anything that that's entered my body. At us. Uh, anything that's entered my body, I have <laughs> pooped out <laughs> in, in some, in some, uh, at some time frame during my day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a rough, it's been a couple rough days. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll, I'll move it on to the next letter here. Um, so what's yours? What's yours? Image <laughs> outside the big two. Um, you know, I really like Fantagraphics, but I also yeah, love I Image. Fantagraphics has some great graphic novels. Top Shelf does too. Fantagraphics does they Jason. Do. Go read some Jason right now. Shut the podcast off and read it. Hello, Slim, Dale, and Jonesy. I have been listening to the keg for over a year now, so I thought perhaps it was time I part with a few words in regards to your show. There are a lot of podcasts out there, more specifically, a lot of podcasts that discuss our beloved medium of comic books, but while they ebb and flow on carefully prioritized playlists, Paper Keg always ends up in my favorites. Why? Well, let's think about that. Let's really get to the bottom of why your show is particularly endearing. Friendship. And I'm talking true camaraderie as a commodity this day and age. Even the most cursory listen would suggest yours was a bond forged by a mutual love for comics. And it is apparent with every syllable uttered, every chuckle admitted, every unpublished page of Jonesy's hypothetical literature. <laughs> by the way, Jonesy, love your Twitter. Is that a All callback? Right. I don't See? know. Uh, when Maybe you guys, it's a genuine compliment, Jonesy. I can't you... receive this. I'm too <laughs> trolled into uh, my shell to think. Mm. All right, when you guys sit down and talk comics, it's like tuning into Masterpiece Theater if there was, in fact, a Masterpiece Theater concerning comics. And there should be. So in that respect, you are filling a void, a yawning, vacuous void with, uh, with which only the finest deliberation could satisfy and just when you think an episode has reached a maximum yield of proper analysis, Slim will hit you with the final song on the soundtrack for Ridley Scott's 80s Tom Cruise vehicle, Legend. And then the listeners launch into a semi-orgasmic state of bliss. <laughs> I'm going to take a drink of water here. John uh, Anderson. All I can say is, Tim Curry will be proud if you are alive today. Oh wait, I'm being told Tim Curry is still alive, so I retract that statement. Please keep on kegging, keggers. It's like Shakespeare wrote in the sequel to Hamlet, 
to keg or not to keg? That is the question. Whether it is nowhere in the mind to suffer the words and chuckles of lesser podcast or to take arms against a sea of terrible comics and by opposing and them or something like that. I respect your shows, uh, show so much, in fact, that I will not even plug my podcast to feed a comics. But that would be tacky and, quite frankly, deplorable. Love, Doc Flux, a.k.a. Bradley J. Tim. DrFlux.com with uh, two X's. Good grief. How about that letter? <laughs> Want to point out what Dale looks like when that song is playing. It looks like he's a lead guitarist who's playing a solo and Dale is jang in his pants. But it's on a guitar and he's not wearing any pants. I also want to clarify that Dale is the one that plays legend music. <laughs> Look, it could be any one of us. It's no, that. if it was Jonesy, he would play it from his phone first and then forget that it wasn't plugged <laughs> Never in. Never get the cord. <laughs> and then I'd probably do it from the main Twitter account. Look, I'm all troll-happy, Dale. Let's and just probably, move on to the next letter. <laughs> and it'd probably just be Mary J. Blige over and over again. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you guys know me too well. Yeah, uh, yeah. so check out Feed... That was a wonderful letter. Thank you, Doc Flux. I mean, we are. I've checked great. out a few episodes. Uh, I've checked out a few episodes of uh, Fita Comics. It's, it's pretty good. He his, he's a maestro with the sound effects board. Oh, I got to tell you that right now. Okay. Comedy, comedy within. And our final letter. I think he. I think he's got the formula down. Where if he writes in within the last ten minutes of the show, he'll get read last, and uh, he's a good never formula. To be forgotten. Yo, fellas, to be clear, I wasn't trolling about Dimension Z. Really love the story and some of the art, just not all of it. Anybody reading Mighty Avengers? I just read the first six issues, and I think it's pretty good so far. Has that Heroes for Hire vibe you guys talked about wanting to see. At King Zolafro. P.S. Don't turn around, Jonesy. Bat Bale is right behind you. That's not funny. He could be That's anywhere. It's not funny. He could just be days away. <laughs> From murdering me in my sleep. <laughs> That rumor has it that Bat Bale comes out when when somebody close to Jonesy is trying to quit smoking. <laughs> whenever whenever that person lights up a cigarette, Mini Christian Bale in a bat suit is there to stick many little batarangs in the person <laughs> and frighten them into quitting smoking. You know what? I may bring Bat Bale to the meetup. <laughs> no way. Oh what do you think? Huh? Oh I might give it away at the meetup. To a lucky you might friend get of the kicked show. out of Barcade. You walk into Barcade <laughs> at 7 p.m. with Batman under your arm. <laughs> hey, guys, uh, can I get a beer and one for my friend? What a creep. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, guys, he doesn't get that much. Don't call him a creep. Oh uncanny gosh. Valley. Min- miniature Uncanny Valley. What a show.
What a show. Yeah. One of our best. One. Maybe we another one to go. I'm afraid to even bring up the idea of a fireside. We're at 90 minutes. Oh, my God. Let's not do a fireside. Let's go crazy right now. Oh, my God. Next week. Fear Agent Library Edition Volume 2. Dale, I'm, I'm really excited for your Fear Agent Climax. Yeah, I, I yeah, I I actually am too. I I literally took a picture with my phone of every page of the hardcover I was reading this time around. So just gonna probably do it twice next time around. I think uh, the meetup is technically this week when this posts. It'll yeah, be fr- it'll I, be Saturday. Hopefully we see some uh, friends at the show. Okay. Yeah, come on out. We love you. See you back next week. song I should have played. What's that? Oh. Now we gotta have a fireside just so we can react to this. That's right. <laughs> Nobody sings it like her. Would it be awkward if I just started crying right now? Yes. Ever seen a grown man cry through a window screen? I'm not even going to mute my camera. I just want you guys to see my ugly cry. Can you do your William Shatner to close out the show? (laughs) He was the most human.